Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at reservebar.com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com. The volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Jenkins, J-E-N-K-I-N-S, Jenkins. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code Jenkins. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Welcome to Jenkins and Jones on the Volume Podcast Network. It is Thursday, December 14th. Jackson has allowed us our... Are allotted 10 seconds to be friends off Sheesh. the podcast, so now we've begun recording. Uh, as always, Jenkins and Jones, hosted by Dragonfly Jones, a.k.a. Tyler. Hey, everybody. Have a good With Jethro Jenkins, a.k.a. John. What's that, Bubba's? I'm Gardy B, a.k.a. Mike. Motherfucking Mike. Motherfucking Mike. And as always, produced by the impatient and pugnacious Jackson Saffron. <laughs> wow. What, what's up? Wow. What, is, what does pugnacious mean? I don't even you know, know so, what that word means. Right. It's a, you're a, 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 a cool word. 
<laughs> he said what? It means, it means it means confrontational. You're a boxing fan, right, John? Pugilist? Pugilist? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that, it, yeah. Cool. Did not make that connection. It's <laughs> a lackadaisical Etym- word. Etym- <laughs> Etymology, bro. I'm telling you, man. It's so fucking helpful, dog. Do you, yes, that's a that's a fact. I actually just did that because Maya was telling us she wants to be a sociologist, and we were explaining that sociology, like society, sociology. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. she was like, she she was like, she looked at us like we were. She was like, all right, bro, like, cool. oh, shit. <laughs> like whatever, man. Yeah. Um, all right, we got to start obviously, and just so everyone knows, we're recording this Wednesday morning. So if there's breaking news developments on suspensions or anything like that, we don't yet know them. But Tuesday night, uh, Draymond Green went rock'em sock'em robot uh, with Nurkic, um, hit him with the spinning, flailing, <laughs> backhanded fist. Well, John, what would you? John is the fight guy. What would you? I'm call not that? an MMA guy. Punch. That's MMA punch, brother. That's not even just boxing. That's not a regular punch. I, I think you. I think you described it accurately. I'd lean into that. Flailing, backhand yeah, punch. The, the flailing, most important word in that, you know, but for sure. Um, you know, guys, obviously, I mean, full disclosure, obviously, we're, we're a podcaster and a producer mates with Draymond, um, which I, I'm not going to pretend that doesn't color the way I think about his <laughs> NBA <laughs> basketball career, you know, just put like laying the cards on the table up front. But I have to say it felt like um, it may have been like a bit of a turning point last night. I think a lot of like, NBA people have been frustrated with what Draymond's um, actions have been, you know, the last year or two. But it felt last night like I saw people start talking about legacy. Like this dude should be remembered as one of the defining defenders in NBA history. And you start to worry that this is what he's going to be remembered for. You know, did you did y'all see that? And and how do you feel about what this latest move of his does to kind of his his legacy and reputation? Um, I mean, I I think it just kind of adds more fuel to the fire, you know, so to speak. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone is like, oh well, that's it, I'm done with Draymond. Like, you know, I think everyone was like, here we go again. You know what I mean? I I don't think anyone was like, this is their breaking point with him. It's just like, bro, it's you've played 15 games this season and you've been ejected in three of them. Like that's that's madness, dude. Like one out of every five games, you're getting ejected, and I mean, and the crazy thing about it to me is twenty percent ejection rate is like that's, that's why I had. I mean, like, that, what is he shooting from three? Is he shooting twenty percent from three? Like, like he might be shooting higher on ejections from three. But um, it's 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 just it's just we've been here before, right? And then and then I saw the post game and 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 it was like he tried to sell us that it was an axe, and I'm like, bro, you don't we don't even need to do this anymore, dude. Like like you don't need to lie to us anymore. We know this is what you do. You get frustrated and then you flail around and you try to say it's a basketball move when everybody knows it's not. So, I mean, I I guess now we just wait on the suspension. He got what, five games, you know, for for choking out Rudy. You know, we'll see what happens now. So, I I mean, like I said, I don't think this moves the needle with anyone, you know, like you're on an extreme end of where, you know, they're done with him. I, like I said, I, 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 this is par for the course with Draymond now. Well, but, and just, uh, I'm sorry, John, to jump in, but ju- it's it, what you just described to me was the most sickening feeling I had as a kid was when you thought your parents were going to be mad at you and they gave you the like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not mad at you. I just expected yeah. better from you. You know, just that resigned disappointment is almost like the worst emotion you could get in in reaction to messing up three out of 15 games is crazy but we can't act like this hasn't always kind of been draymond 
He just was playing great, great basketball. Like he got suspended from a game six for punching LeBron James in the dick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A finals game for punching the face of the league for the last 20 years in the dick. The man punched the a, league's top he, penis, bro. He punched the dick of the <laughs> league in the dick. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? Like so, but now the the play, like you're talking about, is he even shooting 20% from three? You know what I'm saying? Like that's a question you can ask. And so that's where the issue is. You know, where, like, the game is. And also, as a dude as, who's won so much, I think he's just frustrated. This team Clearly. is not good. You know what I mean? This is the beginning of the end. That's what it looks like. A team in, two years ago was in the finals. Last year, they looked like they may have had a, 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 a chance, an outside chance. Now they're just not good. And he just seems really frustrated, and it seems like he's acting out. Where Nurk is to the point where, like, is something wrong with this man? Which is crazy, but I—I I, I mean, I think that there's a valid point. People bring it up when I, when I, when when Tyler threw it in the group chat, I my first thought was why, and I was like, you know, we're seeing so much of this now, more than hearing about one of the smartest minds in basketball doing great basketball shit. We see more of this now, and I think that's unfortunate. I don't know if it for me as somebody that, you know, hated the Warriors for. Four, five, six years because they were so good, saw how good he was, will ever forget that. It's stamped in my fucking brain. You know right. what I mean? But for people who aren't like, you know, who aren't locked in like that, I mean, yeah, this could be what they remember him for, you know? I always think of I it hope as not. like the, 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 the Jay Leno zone. He's becoming a name that like people who don't watch basketball can use as a punchline for hitting someone where you're not supposed to hit him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, like I think reputationally that it, that's sort of the like the 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 danger zone but like I, there's a coach I, I i know and really respect who always says um losing is the cleanest mirror there is like yep and, and you said it john like everyone on that team you can see you can see the frustration in steve kerr when he's being who he is which is an old white man complaining about how loud the music is you can see the frustrate you can certainly see the frustration from clay thompson but he's handling it the way he is he's very internal you see him, like, you can see him boiling that he's getting benched at the end of games, but he's handling it the way he does. Draymond is an extroverted, physical basketball player, and he is also handling the frustration in the way that he handles frustration. I think that's a that's a, a good point as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, I think it's, he needs to sell this as a, I, I was saying this before we hopped in. Like, I think he needs to sell this as like a rock bottom turning point moment. And I don't know that he can do that. But like he has to sell that narrative of like, you know, Tyler said, everyone watched that press conference where he said, Oh, I didn't mean to punch him. It's like, well, there's not a lot of other things you could have been meaning to do, bro. Like <laughs> you know, I mean, like I, I it's hard for me to 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 buy that. And he needs to dig deep and sell a all right, man. I, I get it. You know, like uh, that's got to be coming um, because uh, for for them to have been the franchise in the league for a decade and like this is the storyline now. This is what people are talking about with the Warriors and that's not a good spot for anyone to be in for sure. So I don't know. Yeah, it's awesome. it's. I was going to say, it's, it's just wild how, how like foreign bigs have been the ones on 
the end of his wrath all the time, right? Like, he kicked Steven Adams in the nuts. You know, he fucking stomped on Sabonis' chest. He choked Rudy out. And then he did this shit to Nurk. I'm like, dog, what type of Captain America shit is this motherfucker on? Like, like what type of Olympics is he playing? Because it looked like he was doing some Olympic shit. It looked like he triple jumped over that motherfucker Sabonis' chest, right? It looked like the shit, the shit he hit Nurk with, that was some, um, some discus, discus shit, right? Sure. That was yeah, some discus yeah. shit. The motherfucking kick to Steven Adams like some karate shit. The shit to Rudy, I don't think there's any uh, Olympics for you. You can just choke a motherfucker out. That just was wrestling, right there, just right? wrestling, yeah. just yeah. wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, bro, it's like I don't know what type of. You're, you're making it more sympathetic to me, shit, though. But... You're, you're making it more sympathetic to me because I don't fuck with foreign bigs either. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 I think one th- reason it might be so frustrating because he as he's so fucking smart. You know what I'm saying when it comes to basketball, and he knows how much they stink and how hard this season is going to be. Maybe more than anybody on that fucking team. You know what I mean? And 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 that in the way he is, that's how he's expressing his frustration. But bro, I, I just feel like it's just it's just interesting for me to see somebody who is understands the game at this level be so silly consistently at this point in his career. You know, what I mean, you're a vet, bro. You're a super vet, nigga. You know, what I mean, like this isn't how you want to you know lead a game. I just don't, man. You know, so the last thing I say about the press conference, and we're actually going through this with our son right now. You can't. You can't bullshit a bullshitter, bro. You, you're not going to look at me and lie. I told every lie you could think of, including this specific lie. I didn't mean to hit that kid on the basketball court. <laughs> I've told this specific lie, bro. Like, <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's talk about there's a lot of conversation online about uh, the Lakers have confirmed that they will be uh, raising a banner for the in-season tournament championship. It's going to be what they call like a, uh, I think it's called a perpetual banner where there'll be like an in-season tournament championships banner that this year will be on. If they win it in the future, they'll add additional years to it. It's going to look different and be distinct from the actual championship banners. Um, But there was still, boy, that was like custom made in a lab bait for the worst basketball fans on Twitter to me. That was like, I mean, we had the like MJ would never have cared. We had Kobe would never have put up with this. Like, you know, I don't get it. The NBA put their weight behind this thing. They clearly were going to legitimize it. There's no world where they would not allow some sort of um, memorial, you know, some sort of tribute to be paid to a team winning this championship. Um, but what what did you guys think of of the fact that they're going to hang one up and and the discourse around it? Um, you know, I feel like the one team that you can't say shit about hanging banners is the Lakers. You know, them and the Celtics, perhaps. Um, but you know, I, I I just don't get why people are in an uproar about this. This is a new thing that the league is pushing. Of course, they want all the pomp and circumstance that comes with it, right? Um, you know, it, it feels like it leaned, it started leaning into the whole, uh, you know, participation trophy culture bullshit. It's, it started, you know, you're right. It started crossing into those lines. And then you have motherfuckers saying like dudes like Kobe and MJ wouldn't have even cared about this shit. Like, like, do you, how, how fundamental of a misunderstanding of those dudes do you have to think that they would not have cared about you know beating the fucking six best teams in front of them right so so i didn't get that shit like motherfuckers were really saying michael jordan 
would not have cared. Michael Jordan wouldn't have cared about basketball games with money on the line. Do y'all know who the fuck Michael Jordan is? Like, that was just so wild to me. But like I said, man, it's something new that the league is pushing. And I think that is it, it helps for sure that the Lakers, one of the perhaps the flagship franchise of the NBA, you know, wins it first and that they post it and, you know, they're going to hang that shit in. And, you know, the winners from here on out will follow suit there, too. So it is what it is. I think there's a lot of people that didn't watch those guys play saying that it has to be. It has to be because MJ took everything. You know what I'm saying? Like his last year with the Bulls, then he won like a all the All Star MVP. He wanted it all. He didn't leave shit for fucking nobody, bro. So of course he's flexing that shit. Are you crazy saying he wouldn't? But I mean, dude, it's a big deal. I think I think it was it was fun. You know what I'm saying? It was people were playing. You know what I'm saying? Playoff style basketball. Maybe the first person to hang the banner is weird, but 10 years from now, it'll be normal. You know what I mean? And I think they should do more than one a year. Like Mike said, I feel after that championship game, it ha- I mean, I haven't, I'm not really even, I haven't been re- that interested until, you know, uh, Christmas. Uh, Christmas. Yeah. You feel me? So, hey, run that shit back or stretch this thing out. But yeah, definitely celebrate it. Why not? It makes, it makes no sense. You earned that shit. Michael Jordan was bothered for a month by losing a fucking dice game to a, a, a uniform locker room manager in Chicago, and you're saying Michael Jordan wouldn't have gone absolutely nuts to be the first ever champion of a new initiative by the fucking National Basketball Association. Kobe Bryant had a dislocated finger pop back into place in practice because he didn't want to lose a scrimmage in practice. And you're saying these two dudes uh, qualified their competitiveness with, hmm, how many decades of history is behind this championship? <laughs> like, give me a fucking break, bro. <laughs> and and what, what drives me crazy about it is this tournament was designed for these people. It was designed for these fans to have there be something that you're competing for in the regular season beyond just seating and placement, which we saw last year means less in the playoffs than ever before. This tournament is for you rare steak-eating crazy motherfuckers <laughs> that rant about participation trophies. Like, I don't get it, bro. You just cannot fucking please those people, you know? Like, if, if, Le- if LeBron and everyone in the NBA had been like, who gives a fuck about this? What would they have said? They would have said the exact same shit using the exact same characters. Michael Jordan never would have not cared about this shit. You know? <laughs> like, it's just exhausting, bro. I mean, they're so stupid. Bro, it's it's just the the I mean it's it's Bron hate. That's what it all That's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it is. If it wasn't Bron, they wouldn't be saying any of this shit. Exactly. And you have when you reach the point where you hate Bron so much that you are going to just lie to yourself and say Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant weren't competitors. Like, it's time to reel it in, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because that is their whole fucking entire brand. MJ was a fucking psycho. Kobe had Mamba mentality. They were fucking voracious competitors, right? Like, fucking Michael Jordan made up a story in his head about motherfucking LeBradford Smith. LeBradford. <laughs> Who the fuck is LeBradford what Smith? What is a LeBradford, bro? He made up a story in his head because that dude was a rookie who gave his the, the Bulls 37 and it, um, on the first game of a back-to-back, he made up a story in his head that LeBradford Smith slighted him after when they were shaking hands and he, he sold his whole squad. I got that kid tonight. And he went out there and put up, what, fucking 40 in, like, in, in, the, in the half and then set out. Like, bro, if this man is making up fan fiction about LeBradford Smith, <laughs> I promise you, I promise you that man would have been salivating at the mouth of the thought of going to Las Vegas and leaving there with everybody's chips, bro. I promise you, man. 
Yeah, and man, when Nike never... told him we're doing a commercial about you making history and winning the first ever in-season tournament championship, he would have been at the video shoot on time, brother. <laughs> Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to um, see I win the IST. <laughs> so don't boom, boom. <laughs> oh, Dude, ate that shit up, man. Y'all out y'all goddamn mind. Just real to LeBron Hayden. Like, once you start writing fan fiction about, you know, just that's just totally opposed to who these dudes were, it's time to, you know, come on now. Yeah. The reason I think these people had never watched them, because you can't begin to lie to yourself about that if you watch them play. You know yeah. what I'm saying? These are people that just, I mean, that's that's why I don't, when I hear, when I have those, that's why I don't have that argument anymore, because I realize we I wasn't arguing with basketball fans anymore. I was arguing with LeBron haters. You feel what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, Facts. fuck that. Um, what did y'all think of uh, Stephen A. Smith's... Rep- I-, I actually had a conspiracy theory that Zion intentionally mispronounced the word lackadaisical in order to distract <laughs> from Stephen A. Smith's <laughs> reporting <laughs> that chefs in New Orleans are dying to meet Zion and that the, w- the word on the street is that he will, quote, eat the table. <laughs> That's the wild, bro. I, man, hey, Stephen A. Got to do better, dog. You know, flat out. You know, I, I think that, I think that there is reason to be concerned that Zion is having these conditioning issues, right? I think that that's something that you know has been brought to our attention. We, we got the, the, you know, that quote from CJ last season that seemed very out of character for him when he mm-hmm. kind of threw shots and was like, you know, guys got to take better care of themselves. They have to condition. We all knew who he was talking about. And that seemed out of line for CJ, but it seems like no one can get through to this kid. So they're going the public route with things. Right. So I can see how frustrating it is, but we got to draw. <laughs> I mean, this is still a kid, man. This is still a kid with the fucking spotlight of the world. I mean, he's what, 23 years old. Right. Yeah, and we're just going to say that man's going to call him fat bastard. <laughs> said the word on the streets is he will eat the table like come on man like it, we, we got to reel it in a bit on that like i don't understand and, and to say that these are chefs that are saying this like how can you take the joy in from orleans. a new orleans man of eating new orleans food like how can you make a, someone second guess that that's the best thing of living in new orleans besides the people right the food and you're gonna make this man second guess that now i like, like i wasn't rocking with Stephen a on that one man I mean, I think it's been kind of weird, how, like the way people have been talking about it for a while, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's merit to what you're saying. The kid needs to work on it. But like you said, we're talking about a kid and how we talk about it is, you know, we have to you know, watch that. So like, call, like he, did, he actually called the man fat bastard. Yes. Like, yes. bro. Like, where, yes. where, you know what I'm saying? He said, like, get in my belly and everything, bro. Like, I mean, drop the cord and all that. That's, 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 that's not it. That's not it. But, I mean, I, I mean, if you look at Zion's numbers the last two games, like, I, like I told, we talked about, it. is he even trying? Maybe his lack of conditioning is part of that, too. Like, you know, I just, I, I, I worry about him. Let's talk about it in that way. Like, bro, yeah. this is a, 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 a elite talent, a talent that we hadn't seen in a long time. He was more excited about him. Right. Like, you know, you know, since the most excited player we've seen coming to the league, you know, since Brian at the time until like, you know, until, this yeah, other guy and Wimby sure. pulled up. You feel me? So like, yeah, I mean, I think we talk about it like that, like calling him like fat bastard and eating the table is crazy. You know, what I mean, I, I might. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I salute. I salute you both for being better men than me. <laughs> I don't want to hear Stephen you A. Smith more? talk about he's more? concerned for Zion Williamson. I want to hear y'all talk about it, but Stephen A. Smith, bro, I I can't even imagine how disingenuous that would come off for, from him in particular. I don't know, bro. I, but all, like, all, all I'm gonna say is, is if Zion yeah. wants to clap back, that hairline, bro, like 
that's the gift that keeps on giving. You can have a field day with that, my boy. <laughs> Just put it out there, Zion. I don't know if Zion got that in him, though. And that's what makes it harder, too, because he ain't got that heat. You know, he ain't going to heat like Stephen A. up. Yeah. You, you bullying. Like you bullying. Yeah, yeah. yeah Stephen A. wouldn't try ant like that. I promise you that motherfucking much. Nah. Ant would have lit his ass up. Right, man. right. He in them cheeks. You hear me? I do think, like, this is, um, and I, uh, I encounter this, like, in my job. Like, this is one of the difficult things about sports is that like conditioning and weight is like a legitimate part. I mean, like for Zion, right? Like this, like one way or another, whatever happens with his career, his struggles with his weight and everything that will be a part of like his on the court career. So even if you're saying like, be as respectful of people as possible, which I do obviously like generally agree with, it is part of like, it is what CJ McCollum, who I also don't think is like a reckless person who's out there talking shit on guys. He didn't call him fat it, bastard. No, 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 <laughs> He no, didn't no. say, the man will eat the table. <laughs> the damn table. <laughs> right, right, right. No, Chefs can't wait for Zion to pull up to the restaurant. Right. But that's the difference between someone who knows him and his concern and like the carnival barker aspect of the, you know, uh, of yeah. the like media ecosystem or something. But like, I you know I I I remember we had a there's a a women's volleyball coach like a legendary dude multiple national championships who was like very um very intense about his players weight and you know I it's like I disagreed with it to some extent I mean like they would do team weigh-ins and all this kind of stuff that stuff actually happens in college sports uh, probably more than people are aware of but like he said he's like fat people can't jump that's what he said to me he's like fat people can't jump we have a jumping sport like fat people I mean, can't jump. That's what, that like that was his comment, and you're like, well, fuck. There is like a certain physical, like laws of physics reality, I guess, to what you're saying, bro. To but, be a professional athlete, you have to take care of your conditioning. Right. Zion has not figured out how to be a professional athlete yet. He's yeah. playing like he was in high school. Like I'ma just do me because I'm fucking Zion. That doesn't work. You're playing 82 fucking games with the best athletes on the planet, bro. You have to take care of your conditioning. I get that. Yeah. But like when you're calling the man fat bastard and saying, get in <laughs> my right. fucking belly and I'll eat the table, you cross the fucking line, dog. And so like, yeah, you don't have to, you know, you know, pretend like you're concerned. I don't necessarily need that. I don't, right. it doesn't, you know, but don't call the man fat bastard. You know what I mean? And say, chefs can't wait till he pulls up to the table. That's all. That's where I met with it. That's where I meant with it. Fair. You know what I mean? No, that's yeah. fair, you know? Stephen A. Stephen A. said Zion's step pops hit him up. Said his step pops called him. And Stephen A. Has just doubled down on that shit again. He's like, I don't apologize for anything I said. But, hey, yeah. I'd like to see that. Set that up, match room. <laughs> <laughs> Make a nigga oh, stand man. on the words, you feel me? <laughs> um, we are going through what I would uh, refer to as the second renaissance. Italian people are getting their insanity moment with uh, Tommy DeVito, the quarterback of the New York Giants, is now 3-0. and um, Just a good Italian boy, you know what I mean? Did y'all see the picture of his agent that went around on Twitter? No. His agent looks like... You didn't oh, see it? I can't believe that. No, Hold no, on. I gotta no. Say that. His agent looks like a Dick Tracy villain, bro. Hold on. Let me... Hold <laughs> up. Stop playing. He like, he like Two-Faced out his motherfucker. <laughs> out this bitch. He looks like a caricature if you were like, what does the agent look like of an Italian professional athlete? <laughs> does he have the zoot suit? Yes. Yes. Really? What? Please send me the you picture. Oh, my God. See the picture. You gotta uh, see the picture. He has a zoot suit? Look. Yo. He has. <laughs> he has the hat. He's got the got whole the hat. He got the little <laughs> tip on that motherfucker 
too. Bro, oh, I love that. <laughs> so they have video after he sc- he scored a touchdown of the agent and Tommy DeVito's dad kissing each other on the cheek. The whole family section is doing the capiche fingers because that's his <laughs> celebration. <laughs> it's a special time, bro. It's a special time. How you feeling, Mike? You reveling in that? You reveling in that? I love it. And then there was some dude who's like a sports writer who's like, three quarters Irish, a quarter Italian or something who got on Twitter and was like, you know, why is every other group you're not allowed to make fun of them? But people can talk down to Italians however they want. And the responses were just (laughs) dozens of Italians, I'm sure who are many of whom are racist in real life being like, (laughs) we don't give a fuck about any of that (laughs) shit, dog. We're going to talk shit. People can talk shit. I don't give a fuck about what you're talking about right now. <laughs> we don't give a fuck what they got to say. I love that. I can get behind that. Yeah, like what? Sure. What harmful things are being said about Italians anyway? Like, like, like I feel like anti-Italian sentiment died in like the twenties and the roaring twenties. Like, like what is the offensive shit that is even being said about Italians? I mean, it's like it, it just depends on how seriously you take yourself, right, bro? I mean, mm-hmm. like, and, and this is always the thing with, like, white people saying that, like, oh, there, there's another round yesterday of people complaining about, like, white people do this jokes. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no harm that is coming to you out of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If teachers are in a classroom saying white people are bad people, I understand being upset about that. That's not what's happening. People are making jokes that don't have consequences on the other You're end. You're not going to not get hired because of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. You Your mortgage me? rates are not systemically going to be 1% <laughs> You're higher. You're not going to be redlined. Of None of that shit. You yeah. feel me? Right. I, I go out. I saw a hilarious ass tweet that said, it said, I don't care if you're Italian. Just don't do it around me. <laughs> That should kill me. Bro. If you're Italian in the privacy of your own home, <laughs> but being Italian in public, now you've gone too far. That's great, bro. But it's but it's you know there there are like you know Italian anti defamation groups that like you know view anything any mob thing as like this is negative stereotypes and all this yeah, kind of yeah. shit. Like I I understand you talking about anti Italian sentiment like. You know, my my that that my grandpa like lived that, bro. Like he grew up in New Jersey. Like there mm. were like legitimately, if you were an Italian dude and you got caught walking home from school in a, in an Irish neighborhood, you were gonna get the shit beat out of you for being Italian. So I understand him later in life. Like I don't, I, I wish he would not have spent so much time watching Fox News, but I understand him being <laughs> like, you can't tell me I don't know anything about discrimination and people are trying to break my fucking legs, but like. My, you know, you also got to go to college and buy a house in the, the suburbs, right? Like, it, it's not the same thing as when you talk about actual discrimination throughout history against other other groups of people. And there is no, no one is facing a single negative consequence for being Italian in the world, except for Mike Tirico saying that he's Italian. <laughs> and even then, the only negative consequence was just being made fun of for 10 minutes by the three of us. So... <laughs> Sir, you look like E40. <laughs> that, that, that was the extent of our anti-Italian rhetoric towards that man. Sir, you are brown as shit. You look like a cashew. 
I did not know that Irish and Italian folks had beef like that. I did not know that the potatoes and the tomatoes were going at it like that. Weren't the Irish tomatoes, man? (laughs) Weren't the Irish the Italians before the Italians? Like the hate was with the Irish and then it moved to the Italians. Is that how it was? The Italians successfully institutionalized themselves um, in part through like, you know, racial solidarity, but also in part through organized crime. Yeah, yeah. So they successfully institutionalized themselves. But like, I I mean, that's the thing about America and it's why white people have been so infuriating to me as someone who was aware of my family's history like italians used to get lynched in america bro like there there was a mass hanging of italians in i believe in new orleans like one what, of the what biggest, year was this i don't i'm sure it was the 1800s you yeah. know what i mean but it but like gotta be the 1800s right yeah like i don't think it happened in <laughs> 1970 but it's like but it's like but it's like that's the thing that's like it feels like in a um in a humane society that's the lesson we would have learned is like maybe instead of like putting everyone through a period of hate maybe like what if we tried not doing that to people you know what i mean but, like it feels like that should be the lesson and instead the lesson that a ton of italians and irish uh immigrants second generation immigrants took was you know, we went through it. The Mexicans are going to get it twice as bad. Yeah. Like that's really, you know, like I, like that was something my grandpa used to talk about. Like it broke his mom's heart when he learned English. He was the first uh, one of her kids that learned English. And so he viewed that as a reason that like Mexican immigrants to Southern California should not ever speak Spanish was like, I had to go through this. So they should have to go through it too. And my, uh, the, argument in response was always like if something made your mom cry wouldn't you rather someone else's mom not cry about the same thing like would that not obviously be signs that we're progressing as a society you know what i mean but I'm talking, before the great migration wasn't weren't the irish the people that were hated first like up north in the northern states and then the italians came and they were hated and then the niggas came and everybody was like Everybody was like, fuck these niggas. Like, is that, is that, is that, like, anybody but the niggas? Everybody just teamed up to jump the niggas and box them into locations. Like, isn't that how it was, though? I think it was more regional than, like, uh, chronological, like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was, depending like, on where you're at, there was, yeah, yeah. Irish yeah. neighborhoods. Okay. But yeah, you know, there was, like, no Italians, no Irish signs or whatever. And yes, like, that is the lie of American whiteness. Like, when people talk about being white, it's like, I've never identified with that because my heritage that I'm aware of is Italian immigrants. That's what I'm connected to. Mm-hmm. American whiteness is a concept created to allow Italians and Irish and everyone else to hate black people. Like those people don't have For anything so. in common. <laughs> yeah, they got, like they came from completely different one countries. Thing, they hated one each thing. other. The one <laughs> thing they could say is, well, we get sunburned really easily. Let's hate these people. You know what I mean? Like it's the, <laughs> there's no, there's no like logical basis for it whatsoever. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Char and I went and saw the new Godzilla movie, Godzilla Minus One, last night. Uh, have y'all heard about that? Yes. Woo. No, sir. I've not heard it. It's fire? Brother. It's is one of the ones? on the podcast recommending that anyone who has the ability to go see that movie goes and sees it. It was, like, legitimately heart-wrenching, like, scary at times. It was, like, everything that you remember, like, a monster movie being as a kid. It's set in post-World II Japan. Like mm-hmm. after, you know, they were defeated in World War Two mm-hmm. and like the movie is really about the struggle to survive and reestablish your identity after humiliation and all this wow. stuff. Is deep as fuck. That's deep as fuck. So it, it it was really, really good. The score was unbelievable and the action scenes, like there's so much monster superhero type stuff out there that you kind of feel uh and I say this as a fan of those movies, you kinda can feel a little bit like numb to the big destruction scenes. But there's a scene of Godzilla in a city that's like, I don't know that I breathe for like three minutes. Like, Shar and I were like, we, you know, we had our hand on each other's legs or whatever. We were both like, oh, I, I might be gouging your <laughs> thigh right now. Like, let me chill the fuck out, bro. It was really, really good. And uh, I, I, John, I didn't fall asleep in the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think, I think the last movie I didn't fall asleep in was, uh, what's the one with Matthew McConaughey? The space one. It was long as shit, too. Interstellar? Interstellar, bro. That was That's like the 2009 la- or some shit, right? It's around there. <laughs> that was before, yeah. John, John has not seen a movie without falling asleep. <laughs> Inter- since Interstellar. Was, it was <laughs> so good. It was so good. 2015. Yeah, it was yeah, so okay. good. It was but I, so I mean, good. I mean, so we, you know, Vinny was born in 2013. I don't think I've seen a movie in theaters since then that I didn't fall asleep for at least like two minutes of. And I was. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. And we saw it on a weeknight, too. And I was still that locked in. I fell asleep in like Bill Street. Uh, the the uh James Baldwin um yeah, I fell asleep, and that shit was good as good Bill I I fell asleep in that for about a that good shit was beautiful good, that was beautiful for fifteen minutes I was mouth open nigga head back <laughs> looking at the fucking stars you hear what I'm saying I was and I woke up like this is great you know what I mean like bro great movies yeah I fall asleep in anything but yeah that means a lot though that's crazy I'm gonna tap in for sure. Okay, uh, before we get to uh, this week in Hippity Hop with Dragonfly Jones, uh, we do have to discuss a, a special nominee for the hater of the decade. Uh, someone DM'd this video to Tyler oh, and, uh, and said that they'll unsubscribe if we don't talk about it. You don't have to threaten gotta us. got to take care of the homies. To, to, talk about, to, to, to talk about the funniest shit that we've ever seen. There was like a very typical back and forth between two random people on Twitter, and one of them created a song that will live in infamy. I'm retweeting it on the Jenkins and Jones Twitter account right now. So if you haven't seen it, you can go. But gentlemen, why don't you describe the song and uh, 
what occurred in the video. That man, that man. Okay, so <laughs> this is the funniest quote I think I might have ever seen in my motherfucking life on, on Twitter. But this dude tweeted some dude, right? He made a video talking about how he ain't fuck with Gold Link. Um, this is a, a, a rapper. I think he's a rapper from from Pittsburgh. And, you know, Golink said that weird shit about Mac Miller when when Mac Miller died about how Mac Miller like stole his old ideas and all that shit. It was just some which weird is shit funny Golink because said. Mac Miller's. I mean, Golink stole a, a verse from Smino and is yeah. well known within the music business. So mm-hmm. yeah, so shut the yeah. fuck up, Golink. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Golink a, 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 a weirdo a little. He bit. a weird but ass it, dude. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. But but anyway, you know, the dude made a video talking about you know how he ain't fuck with Golink and the dude. And so the dude replied to the dude who made the video about how he ain't fuck with Gold Link. It was like, you know, what this is how it looks when someone isn't living their dreams or something like that. And this motherfucker lit this dude up. Like he made a video called Shut Up Ball, nigga. And he, and he was just lighting his ass up. He went to that man's Twitter bio and fucking picked apart everything this man was doing with his life <laughs> that he listed in his bio. Cloud that man. Called him old and bald. Called and him weak. Pod, which called is him weak. weak, nigga. Look, is- look. And I myself am an old bald podcaster. Like those shots were coming directly at me, but that shit was still hilarious. I've had rappers say worse shit about me, right? Rappers have been calling me broke and say they're gonna fuck my girl my whole life listening to him. So you know, you can you the shit like that rolls off your back. But that shit was fucking hilarious, dog. Like I, I legitimately my chest was hurting the first time I saw that shit, dog. Bro, calling somebody a bald nigga, even if they, <laughs> like he got a beard, you know what I mean? All that shit. You see that balances out. But firing somebody up for their nose and being bald, 10 out of 10 every time, bro. You can't miss. And he just started off, called him bald nigga like 17 times. Man, shut, up, beginning. Bald, nigga. shut up, bald nigga. <laughs> bro, bro. So funny. So funny, man. And also, bro, like, don't fuck with these kids. Yo, you an old nigga, bro. Don't argue with these kids, bro. Hey, they gonna, they are better at the internet. This man made all, he, he had the time, bro. He made a whole song and video to fire your ass up into oblivion. You don't have a response, bro. Somebody said, you have to get Gold Link to tap in. Gold Link can't save you. <laughs> it's over for you, bald nigga. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Up, it's over nigga. with. Shut up, bald nigga. A, a really regular Twitter skirmish and end up with someone destroying your entire life in a video that now has 3.1 million views. <laughs> He was skydiving. He said, I skydive when I'm bored. What do you do? I think this I'm I think I'm living my dreams, bald nigga. Like he was just, bro. Man, crazy. Mutilated this man live on the timeline. You feel what I'm saying? People, what's crazy is he he mutilated him so bad people didn't even jump in. There are still so the the video that we're discussing has 3.7 thousand retweets, 1,400 uh quote tweets. The the tweet Mate, the, the, of the bald dude that he's making fun of only has 22 quote tweets. People didn't even bother jumping in, bro. It they was in the just mentions, like the though. definitive thing was said. I'm just going to retweet that. They in the mentions, <laughs> and in the mentions, they just saying, bald nigga. <laughs> <laughs> They're Shut quoting up, the nigga. man, bald nigga. Shut up, bald nigga. That's all they think. Just quote, homie. There's nothing to add, bro. It's over with. Crazy. Ugh, oh, all right. Man. Let's get to. And maybe 10 years from now, that video will be the This Week in uh, Hippity Hop. <laughs> <laughs> it might be an the classic. Let's get to This Week in Hippity Hop. Tyler, take it away. Oh, yeah. All right. So in This Week in Hippity Hop, rapper Lil Wayne released his classic album, The Carter 2. 
an album that is perhaps the pinnacle of perhaps the best second act in rap history. While while Weezy was no newcomer to the rap game at the time, this was his fifth album after all. The Carter II at the time felt like a coronation of sorts. You see, in order to have an in-depth discussion on Weezy, we have to realize that there are two distinct acts in his career before the first Carter dropped and after the first Carter dropped. So let's take it back to the Genesis, the BC before Carter era and work our way forward. So to be very, very clear, Weezy was always a star. Everybody just hadn't caught up yet. From his very first appearances on early cash money releases as a teenager, it was quite clear that this kid was special. I want everyone listening right now to pause this podcast, run to Apple Music or Spotify or YouTube or wherever you stream your shit and go listen to Block Burner off of the Hot Boys Get It How You Live album that was released in 1997. That's Lil Wayne's solo track on that album. And he was 14 years old when he recorded that. 14. Go listen to that and come back. We'll wait. Okay, yeah, you heard that shit? (laughs) That was a 14-year-old. Like I said, Wheezy always had it. He always was a star. The star power, the charisma, the humor, and just the flat-out incredible rapping ability and distinct flow was always present in his music. He has said that Missy was a huge influence on his music making, and those dots connect quite clearly. As you can see, the melody in his flow, the humor, the sound effects, how he just get in the beat's pocket because, yes, Missy could rap her ass off and go crazy. It's all reminiscent of her. But above all else, Wayne's early verses were fun. He probably has the most entertaining verse on Cash Money's breakout album, 400 Degrees, where he chuckles mid-verse like the teenager he is at the thought of how much richer he is than the grown men listening to him on the rich (laughs) niggas at the moment. During summer 99 when cash money had two monster singles and bg's bling bling and juveniles back that ass up wheezy steals the show on both late 1999 wheezy would go on to drop his solo debut the block is hot and it was cool a year later in 2000 he drops his second solo album lights out and eh, it was all right He'd go two years before dropping his third album, and in that two-year span from 2000 to 2002, we unfortunately saw the downfall of the Hot Boys. We could probably do a whole pot on that, but to keep it short and simple, contract disputes, unfortunate addictions, and legal problems in prison sentences led to the Hot Boys, who were Cash Money Records' entire talent base basically disbanding. So Cash Money was on the ropes, and Wheezy... In a very bold declaration in 2002, where he wanted to convince us that the cash money flag was still flying high in such a tumultuous time, decided to name his next album 500 Degrees, a very clear play on Juvenile's 400 Degrees. Now, Juvenile was still on cash money at the time, but kept his distance and was going through the motions to fulfill his contract and got out of his deal after speaking publicly on the funny money business that Birdman had pulled on him. And even though 500 Degrees is a very blatant title that leaves little to the imagination, Wheezy left even less up to interpretation with the jab that he threw on his squad up freestyle on the Oh Boy beat where he flat out told Juvie he ain't fuck with him. So weeks before he was set to drop 500 Degrees, Wheezy wanted to assure us that Cash Money was stronger than ever and his next album was going to top 400 Degrees, the greatest album that ever the label ever produced. And well, it didn't. 500 Degrees was a dud, a very underwhelming album. This was by no means the end of Cash Money, though. Big Timer still kept shit afloat with hits like Still Fly. Birdman had a heater with what happened to that boy off his solo album. Juvie's swan song album for Cash Money gave us the monster single Slow Motion. But after that album, Juvie was gone. Cash Money now just consisted of Birdman, Manny, and Lil Wayne. It looked like those 1999 summers would probably never happen again for that label. So let's fast forward from 2002, the year Wayne dropped 500 Degrees, to 2004, the year Wayne would drop the first Carter. In the span of those two years, something very unique happened that changed for, that forever changed the landscape of rap. 
and its name was 50 Cent. 50 Cent pretty much single-handedly shifted the business model of rap. In 2004, if you wanted to be a rap superstar, you needed to be a two-sport athlete, so to speak. You had to kill him on the mixtapes, and you had to kill him on the albums. You had to be a legend in two games like Pee Wee Kirkland. Gone were the days of labels creating artificial scarcity and forbidding artists to put out free music. Now, if you wanted to be a god in this rap shit, you had to flood the streets. And all the top dogs circa 2004 were doing that shit. Kanye, T.I., 50, G-Unit, Dipset. There was even an up-and-comer named Young Jeezy in 2004 who was following that 50-cent blueprint and building his buzz through classic mixtapes before dropping a fucking meteor of an album in 2005 like 50 did. Shit, even Jay-Z dropped a mixtape. It was to promote his Reeboks because that dude will never, ever rap for free, but still, (laughs) even Hove recognized. (laughs) Now, I want to be clear. 50 and G-Unit were not the first rappers to do mixtapes. Plenty of rappers would drop a mixtape here and there between albums, but 50 turned that shit up to 10. He wasn't just giving you one mixtape between albums. He was giving you like three or four. There was a new business model on rap of flooding your music and rappers had to pretty much adapt overnight however wheezy already had the mixtape aspect of this whole model down his squad up and drought tapes went crazy and had a cult following the question for wayne was never could he kill a mixtape because he absolutely could it was will he ever give us an incredible album and three albums worth of underwhelming evidence had a lot of us thinking this dude was probably just going to be one of those incredible mixtape rappers who can never really put a good album together but the carter changed all that It was an incredible album where it finally, finally came all together for Wheezy in a major way. So this album right here is the start of Wheezy's second act. Wheezy could always rap his ass off, but there was a new swagger here. There's a palpable sense of hunger, a palpable sense of urgency. He tells us on the intro, 20 seconds into the album, that he has his back against the wall and his guns up. He makes it clear on songs like Miss My Dogs that he's thrown his label on his back by his lonesome and no one has ever been better suited for the task than him. He'd ex- he's extremely open on this album of his awareness of the loads he has to carry now as the new man of the cash money house. But the sentiment here is not some woe was me shit. Weezy lets us know throughout the album that his scrawny ass shoulders were built for this moment. He was born ready for this shit. You know that moment in the 2000 finals when Shaq fouled out and Kobe closed that game out and there's that moment when Kobe looks over at his bench and does the don't worry I got this motion. The first Carter feels like an audio version of that moment with Wheezy motioning to Baby and Mandy that he got this and that the Cash Money Dynasty is not dying as long as he has breath in his lungs. He also makes it clear he doesn't just want pass on the back acknowledgments as just simply a good rapper for this piece of work he's offering us. He wants the crown as the best rapper, the crown that he felt Jay-Z left up for grabs after retiring a year earlier. The best rapper alive since the best rapper retired. He christened himself on Bring It Back, the lead singer from this pivotal album. So, after being an underground mixtape legend from his squad up run, Wheezy finally slays the dragon of creating a great album with the first Carter, an iconic album. It's in the rappers. It's it's in the rafters. To this day, I don't think he's ever given us anything harder than Birdman Jr. It's a Hall of Fame album, right? So already the savvy mixtape veteran, Wheezy wisely decides it's time to go to the mixtape big leagues now, and he hits up the mixtape Adam Silver or David Stern, since it was 2005 back then, who is DJ Drama, and he tells him it's time. The result is a classic mixtape, dedication, and the man floats all over that shit. So now the buzz is building. There's kind of a collective, you know, hey man, building with rap fans right now about this guy. This dude is really on some other shit. That Carter album wasn't a flute. This is new, improved Wheezy we're hearing. So now we finally get to the Carter 2. 
a modern masterpiece. Manny Fresh, who had produced 18 of the 21 tracks on the first card, had split with Cash Money by this time for the same reasons Juvenile did. Funny Money, Birdman shit again, of course. So we get a new slate of producers, a new sound. The first beat we hear on the opening track, The Mob, is from Heatmakers, who at the time were basically the in-house producers for Dipset. T-Mix, the in-house producer for Suave House, is responsible for a lot of classic records from April and MJG, produces a handful of tracks, including the fly-in, fly-out interludes and Hustler music. Wayne enlists relative newcomers, The Runners, and Cool and Dre as well. Robin Thicke produces their collab on this album also. So Carter 2 has the most expansive sound any Little Wayne album has had this far. We've got T-Mix providing that Memphis shit, The Runners and Cool and Dre providing that Florida shit, The Heatmakers providing that New York shit, and Robin Thicke providing some white guy R&B dude shit. So... Weezy touched all bases on this album, but above all else, when you tally the tracks from the Carter, from his dedication mixtape and Carter 2, that was 73 tracks that Weezy gave us in 16 months with very, very few misses. A precedent has been set. Weezy was going to flood the shit out of us, and the Weezy flooding model was going to be a model many rappers emulated, for better or worse, for years to come. There's a strong case to be made that the do-it-yourself and do-it-a-lot work ethic that was so foundational to the blog era isn't as prevalent without Weezy serving as the shining example of the spoils that come with successfully executing that strategy. On the first Carter album, he was letting us know he was coming for the throne. On the second Carter, he was asking what the fuck was taking everyone so long to bow to him now that he was comfortably there. So, yeah, Carter 2, man. Um, Carter 2 was not Wheezy's supernova. Mode. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. So, yeah. Um, you be Carter writing two. the fuck out of those intros. <laughs> these hey, I love this rap hard. shit, dog. Thank you, man. But, yeah, um, Carter 2 was, like, not... Weezy supernova moment. I want to say Carter three was right. Like that's when he did a million. You know, first week that was when he his star was the brightest. Um, the Carters were a bit of a slow burn. The first Carter, because the thing is, like, there was not a lot of anticipation for that. We had kind of like gave up on Weezy being given us, you know, in any album that was you know going to hit. Like the first Carter album did like a hundred thousand first week, right? Second Carter album, you know, we was after we heard how you know fire the first Carter was after we heard how fire dedication was, it doubled that shit up. It did like two hundred forty thousand, right? Still good numbers, but like I said, he wasn't the megastar that he was there. But Carter two like solidified him. It was like, bro, he is really, really rapping now. Like, you know, he is, ex- uh, you know, expanding his horizons now that, you know, man isn't here. He's topping on on all types of beats. And it just it just felt like a christen. It felt like a coronation. Like, bro, th- this is like th- the start of like this, the best second act that we might have ever seen in rap. And I truly do believe that. I don't think that Wheezy is the greatest rapper ever. I don't think his discography is the greatest ever. But I think I don't think that there is ever a rapper who had a better run that I've seen from 2004 with the first Carter to 2009 with um, no ceilings. That run that Weezy had, it was just, it, it was the hottest hand I ever saw in rap. Everything he touched was just fire, right? And he worked his ass off. He was giving us like 50, 60 tracks a year and just not missing, bro. Never saw anything like it. I remember like people would talk about how Wayne did, only went to the club to play his music. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't go out like other people did. He would stay. He would stay up all night making music. Go to the strip club, play his music, and see how like like that was his that was his work ethic, bro. Mm-hmm. Every day he was in the studio. So dropping, I'm wondering what didn't get dropped. You know what I mean? Being that he would drop 50, 60 album songs, like he's making mu- a song like a song a day. You feel me? But I, I remember where I was at when I heard Go DJ. You feel me? Because yeah. I feel like we all wanted Wayne to be 
Like it wasn't like we were like rooting for him to do. Yeah. We know you got it in you. you we know, love the mixtapes, but the albums were done, bro. Like, like I mean, for like yeah, exactly, but like for us, like we was waiting for the Carters, even though the other two were trash, because we've been listening to them squad up mixtapes for right. You know what I'm saying? Downloading my thing was LimeWire back then. We was LimeWire because all that yeah, stuff. waiting two days to motherfucking download the album. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? But it was worth it. You feel me? But I was in the squad, squad up all the time. We was playing that shit, the CDs all the time. So when the Carter dropped, okay. Hopefully this is the one. Like he got that, he got the chance to drop two trash, like basic ass albums. I don't say trash, basic ass albums for us, and we were still captivated because he was so good. And you brought up the fact that um on the uh the uh the hot boy shit, but like dude, we got bro. BG was fire, nigga. Like I think mm -hmm. BG was good enough to drop an album today, and I listen to it. You know what I mean? For sure. Like you know you know you know what I'm saying like it was a super group. Everybody it was a in that motherfucker. dude. Turk was Turk was cold. Was cold, and he was like Turk was cold. You feel me? Like like dude, it was crazy. And, and for me, I when we would listen to those albums in high school. We would always be talking about Wayne with the sound effects and all that. Like, who is this little nigga? Hop out the back of the Hummer with something right, right, that go. Right, right, you right, feel right, me? Yeah. Like, we was, we, was, we was reciting that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, even with Ha being as popular as it was, we were Wayne fans. You feel me? So, when mm. the Carter came and he dropped the Carter and I heard, hey, go, DJ. I was in the fucking gym. I had my, my motherfucking fanny pack shit on with the motherfucking <laughs> dis dismiss shit. I'm looking around like, yo. I'm like tweaking. You know, hitting my, like, the homies, like, bro, this shit go crazy, you feel me? So I remember that, that was like, for me, that was a moment where, like, he figured it out. He cracked the code, yes. you know what I mean? And I understand the Carter too, like, that's who became a superstar. But for me, when he grabbed hold of the game and was like, nigga, ain't nobody fucking with me, was Dedication 2. Oh, dedication yeah. 2, nigga, that, bro. He switched everything. There's no Don. All these mixtape rappers, you know, they, the people that blew up off mixtapes. I don't think that exists. I was, when that happened, I was more interested in mixtapes, you know what I mean, than I was in actual album drops. I don't give a fuck about the album drop, you, you know, the album you dropping. These mixtapes niggas dropping were way better at the time for like a 10 year period, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, the, but the dedication to dedication nigga, like, too went crazy. Bro, bro, he was, he, he, he was sparking like, the blunt in between tracks like drama. It's too easy. Give me another one. He was bro, in the zone, dog. Bro, it wasn't the one where he dropped like three or four beats on the album or some shit. And he was just like on a song and he was just going crazy. Like, and then like, but I mean, all, all the way up to Louisiana, all of that. You feel me? Where mixtapes were what I was playing. I wasn't playing nobody's album. If it wasn't a Wayne mixtape, fuck, fuck, fuck you mean. You know what I mean? Or a mm -hmm. mixtape in general. But he sparked that mixtape, that 10 year mixtape run. I know you talked about uh, how 50 Cent was the person that you know, really popularize it. But for country-ass niggas in the South, it was Wayne that, like, you know, I was I listened to Lil' 50, you know, the Lil' 50 mixtape. I listened to it. But Wayne, like, nigga, bruh, if you weren't playing Wayne in your shit, a Wayne mixtape in particular, what, what was you what was you on? You know what I mean? It, like, spoke. It's kind of like, I think Mike talked about how uh, uh, J. Cole speaks for these kids. You know what I mean? We're like, it, you might not necessarily, like, like, J. Cole, if you like J. Cole, that means something to other kids. If right, you're a J. Right, Cole fan, right? right? Bro, if you ain't playing, yeah. yeah, if you ain't playing Wayne, what the fuck is you on? You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 like, but yeah, bro, like, he was that bro, that ten year span was so special, and I feel like he, a lot of people or rappers got opportunities that maybe didn't have backing that could make a mixtape because we were taking mixtapes seriously because of Wayne. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, they they for sure changed the model. Um, you know. 
something interesting that I feel feel about 50 and Wayne, like I feel like they're forever intertwined because of kind of how they both played a part in the mixtape boom. I also feel like something that benefited both of them very much in, in their stars rising was they came along right at the time where regionalism was just was dying. Right. Mm-hmm. And 50 was very, very New York with his shit. Right. Mm-hmm. But he would rap with a Southern flow. He would rap with a, with a Southern twang. Like, you know, I'm from in Wildwood, but I use country grammar. Right. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like he would, he would, you know, f- flip his shit Southern style. He was, you know, ro- um, rocking with West coast beats. Right. You he know, was singing with, 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 on songs yeah, like he was similar to yeah. job, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so so like Fifty was like this very New York rapper who flowed Southern at times and who was on West Coast production. He was like all things to everybody, right? You know what I'm saying? Like my favorite, I think my favorite Fifty track ever is Rider Music, and that shit is West Coast as fuck, produced by High Tech out of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Wayne benefited in a way too because we 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 hadn't really heard a southern rapper rap quite like Wayne was you, you know from from the Carter on right like like there was a different swagger there of course there's the the rumors that Gilly wrote from I don't buy that shit for a second. ain't no fucking way yeah. bro ain't Gilly no motherfucking way yeah no shots yeah, to Gilly he yeah, can yeah, rap I, but... I love Gilly right but yeah. I'm not buying that I'm not buying that. Yeah, it it yeah. was just it was just he and you know he was very much aware of it like like you know he said shit on 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 Carter too where where you remember the skit where where he said some motherfucker ran up on him with a camcorder went to battle him and shit and he was like look man if we ain't going to do this for no money or nothing he's like I know y'all think I can't rap cuz I'm southern or whatever right like he was right. very much aware of of kind of you know the modes and shit that he was breaking mm-hmm. and and something that was v- always like kind of st- uh, stuck out to me that was not southern of him was how often he used sports references right mm-hmm. like that was just something the southern rappers didn't do you didn't hear Outkast and, and Trick Daddy and Scar face in UGK making sports references right like that was like Jada Kiss and Fab shit you know what I mean yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like that was very up top of him and it was, I loved it right like that's one of, my, one of my favorite things about him is the sports references so I feel like you know Wheezy and he was very New Orleans too I'm not at all saying he switched up he was New Orleans mm-hmm. as fuck but he, he had a swagger that was kind of like the swagger that the NYC mixtape guys had. He right? held his nuts like NYC niggas did. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Right. Like, bro, I mean, coming out saying I'm the best rapper since the best rapper retired, bro, that's mm-hmm. an enormous statement from a Southern dude. You know what right. I mean? Right. And I won't say he's the best rapper ever, but I would say during that time period, there wasn't a rapper better. You know what right I'm out. saying? Like, right that motherfucker was the coldest nigga doing it, bro. And couldn't nobody hang with him. You know what I mean? If if right. Wayne wasn't on your shit, your shit wasn't cracking, bro. And that's just what it was at the time period. Flat out, flat out. And also, bro, like, there's so many of Wayne's sons right now. There's so many of his sons out here right now. Like, <laughs> like you know how, how, how they say, like, life emerged from the uh, primordial ooze and shit? I always kind of <laughs> said there was, there was, like, a promethazonial ooze that a lot of... <laughs> That a lot of rappers, are, you know, evolved from because you know when, when Weezy got on his 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 slurred, you know, syrupy, no pun intended, flow when, when he got on that lean, right? Like, bro, that's where Young Thug comes from. That's where Playboy Cardi comes from. That's where Little Uzi comes from. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, Prostitute Flange that dropped in 2000. That's the first Young Thug song ever, dog. Mm-hmm. If, if if y'all aren't hip to that, go YouTube that shit. But yeah, it, it it was just it was just an incredible run. Like I said, I think it's the best run I've ever seen a rap, and it was very influential it shifted the business model and like i said he's still got some sons out here who are very much you know kind of got their whole swag from that run he had the, the only comment i would make is uh uh 
life evolved out of the primordial ooze into more and more complex organisms, and we may be uh, evolving backwards into single-celled organisms uh, <laughs> in the Christ. music landscape. But yeah. that could yeah, just be us being old, though. That could just be easy, but yeah, it could just be me being an old dude for sure. Tyler, that was awesome. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. That's our time for today. We will be back with a, a really special, fun interview episode on Saturday. And then our next regular episode on Monday. We will see y'all then. Bye. 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 The volume. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.